Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. At this point, my poor grandma feels like she's living out a scene from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't know if I agree with him. All I know is that I have never been so rattled in my whole life. And every time I get something out of the closet, I'm overwhelmed with this feeling of wrongness. At that point, the worst case scenario began to unfold. I heard whoever was downstairs begin making their way up the stairs. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. This episode is sponsored by Wondery's Generation Y podcast where hosts Justin and Aaron dig deep for answers on cases of missing spouses, mysterious murders, serial killers, and more. Listen to Wondery's Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. I hope everyone had a fun and safe 4th of July, and hopefully you're coming back with all your fingers intact. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user MaskWearingButch, and we learn about the horseback ride from hell. Bringing this experience to life is Nicole Doolin. Ever since I was a kid, I remember my grandma denouncing horror of any kind ghoulish Halloween masks, haunted houses, scary movies. I had attributed this aversion to her background and faith. She is Hispanic and a devout Catholic. She believes anything horror-related is wrong, evil, you name it. So imagine my shock and curiosity when my grandparents shared a bombshell. Back in 1974, My grandpa convinced my grandma to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This would be her first and last scary movie. The weekend after the movie, my grandpa, grandma, my then toddler-age mother, and my aunts and uncles decide that they will go horseback riding for the first time. Since everyone lived in Wisconsin, my family made the journey to a farm about two hours away. For the most part, everyone is in high spirits. Who can say no to a family adventure on a crisp autumn Wisconsin day? Despite the other's excitement, my grandma is worried. Since she doesn't care for horses, she chooses to stay behind, on her own, with my mother. 
when my family arrives at the farm, it is three o'clock. According to my grandma, she watched everyone get saddled up and then slowly ride off into the tangle of trees. The guide leading my family called out that the ride would last less than two hours. Mentioning different trails, the need for breaks, things of that nature. My grandma figures everyone will be back by five o'clock. She waits with my mother in the car, playing games, reading storybooks, and trying to silence her bubbling anxiety. Needless to say, five o'clock comes and goes. No sign of my family. By this time, my mother has fallen asleep, which leaves my grandma with no way to distract herself from her worries. Finally, when six o'clock rolls around, she calls to a farmhand from her car window. No way is she leaving the safety of her vehicle. She demands to know why her family hasn't returned yet, when five o'clock has long since passed. By now, darkness has begun bleeding into the Wisconsin sky. The farmhand assures her that everything is okay, and that extra paths are taken throughout the ride. He tells her that her family should return soon. Now, keep in mind, this was well before cell phones were a thing. Also, a week before, she had seen her first scary movie, and it had scared the shit out of her. At this point, my poor grandma feels like she's living out a scene from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She tries to contain her worry and begins a hushed, fearful prayer, until the flash of lightning that is soon followed by ear-splitting thunder. The noise wakes my mother, who starts to cry. My grandma must now not only ponder the frightening question of where her family went, but she also has a stressed, howling two-year-old to deal with. It is now reaching seven o'clock. The storm is growing more ferocious by the second. My grandma has to pee and her bladder feels like it's going to explode. But between the roar of the storm and the images of crazed country maniacs plaguing her mind, she refuses to leave the vehicle. She plans in her head that if they aren't back by 7.30, she's going to leave and find the nearest gas station to phone for help. Again, no cell phones during these days. 7.30 comes. Her family hasn't come out from the woods. As she's scrambling around the car for the keys, she realizes my grandpa never gave them to her. The pound of a fist against her window shakes her from her whirlwind of panic. That panic amplifies by a million when she notices a sizable brawny man peering in at her. He is wearing a jacket and the hood covers his head. My grandma says that by now it felt like someone had pushed a button and sent the world into slow motion. Everything crawled by at a snail's pace. Why don't you and the little one come inside? The man yells. His words are authoritative and carry no hint of warmth. He isn't speaking from a place of concern. He's ordering my grandma into the farmhouse. All my grandma can do is shout, Where is my family? The man responds gruffly. We're looking for them. My grandma orders him to call the police. The next words the man said made my grandma literally piss her pants. We don't need the police. As he turns to go back into his house, he says, You and the baby can come inside whenever you're ready. My grandma starts to sob, wholly convinced that her family has been brutally murdered and that she and her baby will be next. 
In the chaos of this moment, she hears someone calling her name. But because of the pitch-black darkness and her profound fear, she knows she must be hearing things. Then she hears her name again, this time even louder. Dora! Help me! It's my grandpa's voice. When she realizes this, she puts my mom in the back seat, grabs the wooden baseball bat my grandpa keeps under his seat, locks the doors, and then exits the car. Keep calling my name! I can't see you! She cries. After what feels like an eternity, she follows my grandpa's voice to his location. When she gets to him, she realizes my grandpa needed help because he is guiding my aunt across the high, rain-soaked grass. She hurt her ankle. They are both drenched from mud and rain and covered in scratches. The rest of my family is nowhere in sight. Before my grandma can assume the worst, she hears my uncle calling for my grandpa. One by one, everyone shuffles out of the wild woods and through the tall grass. Everyone is soaked in mud and injured in some capacity. Cuts, gashes, limping, unsteady. All are shaken as well. When they finally make it back to their vehicles, the sounds of running engines and the flood of headlights gets the attention of the man inside the farmhouse. The farmhouse door swings open, and the brawny man comes to stand on the porch. With an amused chuckle, he drawls, <laughs> Oh, you all made it out of there? My grandpa shouts, That dumb asshole left us out there and never came back. All the man says in response is, I'll have to talk to him about that. You all can come inside. His freakishly flippant and joking attitude sinks into his words. He knows damn well they aren't going into his house. My grandma begs my grandpa to leave it and get them out of here. With that, my family tears out of there as fast as humanly possible. Once my family was back home and safe, my grandpa explained what had happened. During the ride, the guide led them deep into the woods to a creek, where the horses stopped for a drink. As the horses rested, the guide told my family he had to go do something, and would be back in 20 minutes. My family thought this was strange, and my grandpa even anxiously joked, You're coming back, right? The guide simply gave a low chuckle and took off on his horse. 20 minutes came and went, and the guide didn't return. My family continued to wait as they had no idea where to go. They could see the sky blackening above them. They would have to make it out on their own. As my family rode off, they tried to remember the path back to the farm. They wandered aimlessly. Eventually, rain started to fall. Pulsing lightning and the crash of thunder spooked the horses. Everyone but my grandpa got thrown off their horses. When my grandpa climbed off his horse to help the others, his own horse galloped away as well. From there, it was a nightmare trying to navigate the woods while wounded and roaming through a thick void of darkness. The only advice I can give you is this. If you're going horseback riding, you better make sure it doesn't become a horseback ride from hell. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes. 
ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did. Next up is our title story coming to us from Reddit user The Curved Writing Desk. And we learn that when something just isn't quite right, the explanation could be more terrifying than you want to believe. Bringing this experience to life is Tanya Eby. I'd like to preface this by saying my husband is an electrical engineer and I'm a teacher. We're not crazy people. So back when my husband and I were dating, my husband was in a terrible car crash. His truck hit black ice and he slid into oncoming traffic. His truck was completely totaled. So was the other truck he hit. The weird thing is though, both he and the other guy were completely fine. Not a scratch on them. All my husband had was a bruise on his knee. The first responders were baffled, as was the towing company and insurance when they realized no one had died or was severely injured. Fast forward to a few days after the crash, my husband comes over to my apartment. We're having a conversation about a university class we're both in, and he casually asks when I got the flat screen TV sitting on my dresser. At this point, I'm very confused because I've had the little flat screen since I was 13, and it had it the entire year and a bit we'd been dating. I asked him what he was talking about, as I've always had that TV. He told me to quit pulling his leg and asked me what I did with the old tube TV. I had no idea what he was talking about and told him so. He's convinced I had a tube TV. I proceed to get on Facebook and showed him a picture we had taken two weeks prior with the TV in the background. It's a flat screen in the picture. My husband goes white like he's seen a ghost and just stares into space for a minute. His eyes started to water. I asked him what's wrong and he said, I swear to God, I'm not crazy. You've had a tube TV since we started dating. It was a tube TV when we took that picture. I brushed it off as his head being rattled from the accident, and he didn't bring it up again. However, any time we hung out in my room, he'd always look at the TV weird. Fast forward seven years. My husband and I have been married for a few years and decide that we're ready to be parents. I'm not on birth control, and we decide whatever happens, happens. We're not actively trying, but not preventing it either. So we're on vacation in Italy, wandering around Rome, and I feel like shit. I had had my period the week before, and it was the worst one I had had in my whole life. As we're walking around, I am suffering from back pain, chills, and horrific cramping. I go to the bathroom in a cafe and hurl my guts out, have diarrhea, and realize I'm menstruating heavily. Obviously, I'm weirded out since I had just had my period the week before. I clean myself up, go back to my husband, and tell him I think I need a doctor. I have a pretty high pain tolerance, but this is insane. It's getting to the point I'm having trouble walking, and I'm starting to feel pain in my shoulders. I don't want to ruin our vacation, but I'm starting to really worry. My husband is smarter than me, sees the state I'm in, and says I'm visibly paler than when I went into the bathroom and gets me help. 20 minutes later, I'm on a stretcher and being taken to the hospital. An hour after that, I'm being prepped for emergency surgery as the doctor tells me I have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. I have heavy internal bleeding and if he doesn't perform surgery, I am going to die. 
Six hours later, I wake up very sore and tired. Doctor tells me I'm very lucky, and if I had waited any longer to seek medical attention, I'd be dead. Husband stays with me in the hospital the first night, then gets a hotel for the rest of my stay. A week later, we're cleared to fly home, and I go through a grueling month of healing from the surgery. Two months after our return, somehow my husband and I get on the topic of fires, and he goes on about the dangers of kitchen fires, and I say, no need to worry, we're all set with the extinguisher in the closet. He looks at me like I have three heads and asks me what I'm talking about. I remind him about the extinguisher in the front closet where we keep the coats. We've had it for three years. He insisted we buy one when we bought our house. My husband shakes his head and tells me he has no idea what I'm talking about, and we don't have a fire extinguisher. I remind him about not only my memories of fighting about it, if we really needed one, where to put it, buying it from Home Depot, but also installing it to the wall in the closet. He looks at me with confusion and tells me none of that happened. I get up, go to the front closet to show it to him, all the while cursing him for being an asshole for forgetting our two-week fight about it, and lo and behold, no extinguisher. Not only is there no extinguisher, there's no holes in the wall where I know we installed it. No fresh paint. This wall has never been touched. I insist he's moved it and fixed the wall and ask why the fuck he would play such a stupid prank. He continues to insist we've never had one, let alone talked about getting one. This goes on for several minutes. I'm approaching hysterics, telling him to quit playing with me when he finally says, now you know how I feel about that TV. We didn't speak about it for a long time. Then, after I found this thread, he brought up his theory that, perhaps in another timeline slash dimension, whatever you want to call it, we both actually died. And we reset like a video game, and the TV and extinguisher are glitches. I don't know if I agree with him. All I know is that I have never been so rattled in my whole life, and every time I get something out of the closet, I'm overwhelmed with this feeling of wrongness. I know it should be there, but somehow it's just not. I can't explain it. He says he will go to his grave swearing I had a tube TV. Get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere. I know you guys love your true crime podcasts, and I'm the same way. And one of my absolute favorites is The Generation Y with Justin and Aaron. And this is a show where they dig deep for answers on cases of missing spouses, mysterious murders, serial killers, and more. They break down each case in a way that I really love. And they don't always agree, which is nice because you get different ideas and perspectives. And many cold cases they take a look at finally end in resolution. If you're obsessed with tales of murder and mayhem, as I am, Generation Y is a podcast you need to be listening to. And in a recent episode, they dive into the case of Heather Elvis, a young woman who had just ended a toxic affair with a married man and was back into dating. But five days later, she got a phone call that prompted her to head out into the night in her car. She hasn't been seen since. This episode really gets me because it was determined that Heather may have been pregnant at the time. And this is just one of literally hundreds of episodes waiting for you in the Generation Y feed. 
It's a perfect setup to go on a binge fest. So listen to Wondery's The Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you, and stay spooky. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today, and uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. And finally, we check in with Reddit user V. Roshman. And we learn why you always need to verify your Uber driver. Bringing this experience to life is Addison Peacock. I work in food service, front of house. So in the early days of the pandemic, with restaurants closed, I was taking work wherever I could find it. An old friend clued me into a medical office that needed someone to come in and do a bit of light filing. I was able to go in at night to limit direct contact with people, so I jumped at the opportunity right away. Ironically, the medical office job had been the safest gig I'd been offered thus far, COVID-wise. I wanted to avoid the bus if I could due to crowds, so decided to swing for a rideshare app. It's not all that expensive in my area, and I really didn't want a virus. I headed in at almost 3am because it was after the cleaning crew had left. I was kicking myself for being so cautious, though, because I was exhausted. I stumbled onto the block looking for my ride, and to my tired self's great relief, the car spotted me almost immediately and pulled up, asking, Uber? While I cluelessly wandered up and down the street, searching. The ride was taking a while, but I'd only just moved here last year, so I'm not familiar with all of the surrounding areas, and thought nothing of it. I was pretty alert at first, so was trying to pass the time playing games on my phone and stuff. But the car didn't have a compatible phone charger, and I wasn't sure the building would have one, so I wanted to save my battery to be able to call a ride back. I shut my phone down into airplane mode and eventually drifted off from a combination of tiredness and boredom, 
I don't often take rideshare, so being alone with a strange driver often put me a bit on edge, but this guy had a pretty boring car and a very standard look about him. He looked a little like my brother, even. Young, clean-kept, listening to jazz. Nothing that screamed, you need to micromanage this trip. When we arrived, the driver tried to wake me up by calling to me from the front, but I was in too deep of a sleep and couldn't fully distinguish it from my dream. Finally, he awkwardly jimmied my leg to wake me up and kept saying, Ma'am, ma'am, we're here now. I was embarrassed that I'd been that out of it, so just gave a hurried thanks and booked it out of the car and into the building. As I looked around, I began to realize nothing was what I had expected of an office park. I had seen a street view of the building when I first looked up the business, and it had appeared to be a strip mall plaza. The further I went, the more loudly alarm bells were ringing in my gut. The structure was semi-dilapidated and it was pitch black dark past the entryway. I expected some lights to be off in the nighttime, but not to the whole building. I skittered across the concrete foundation comprising what was left of the lobby area, told myself they must just be renovating, and followed signs for the stairs. After what felt like ages, but was likely just a few minutes, all I had passed was construction equipment, a couple locked doors, and some smashed windows. I was certain I was not going to find a medical office and figured maybe I had mixed up the address. I took out my phone to double check, but once I got it out of airplane mode, I could barely get a signal. I kept moving around in the building, pacing, looking for a stronger signal. I eventually confirmed in my texts that I had written down the correct address just by scrolling back, which didn't require service. Since I'd only been inside for a few minutes at most, I figured I should try and get in touch with the driver because if I entered the correct address, then it was only fair he should continue my ride to the correct place and save me the added fees of calling a second trip, considering this was all his mix-up. The app was taking forever to load with my slow service, but before I could get to a cloud of reception, I heard a rustling sound in the lower level of the building. I was on the top floor, and the only stairwell I was aware of was the one I had taken up, so that would force me into the middle of the building there was no way to exit the situation without encountering whoever was downstairs. In an abandoned building in the latest hours of the night, I figured the chances were high that it was a tweaker, and I had no desire to try slipping past a tweaker, especially when it was late enough that they were probably on something so jumpy and on edge. I tried to get a text out to a group of friends with my address and a request to call 911 to help get me from the property because I didn't feel safe walking in that neighborhood at night and didn't have enough reception to call a new ride. But the message wasn't sending. Reception was too weak. So I gave up on getting my phone going and started checking for another stairwell, or even window with balconies or dumpsters that could be used to exit the second floor as a last resort, in the event whoever was downstairs came upstairs. I scrambled over to a door with a stairs sign on it, but the stairs were completely dilapidated, and it was essentially just a straight drop down to the first floor. At that point, the worst-case scenario began to unfold. I heard whoever was downstairs begin making their way up the stairs. I thought fast and figured, based on my walkabout, the floor was basically a giant loop, so I would have to wait for whoever this was to come up the stairs, wait for them to come all the way up, then sprint the opposite direction of wherever they were going and try to get down the stairs and out of the building in time to make it to the road without encountering them. I was not anticipating being chased or anything, but didn't want to piss off a druggie or have a homeless person who might be living there feel as though I'd trespassed 
and become hostile towards me, or have any sort of interaction that could possibly occur at that hour in an abandoned industrial park. I held my breath for what felt like five minutes, but was likely closer to just 30 seconds, and the person appeared at the top of the stairs. To my great relief, it was just the Uber driver. I figured he had come back for me, realizing he had left me in the wrong spot, a place that could have worked out to be dangerous. So I came out from the beam I was hidden behind and proceeded to wave him down. But then I processed. There was no way for him to realize this had been the wrong address. My stomach lurched forward and my blood chilled to slush. I made eye contact with him, very briefly, and he was completely calm and composed, but breathing pretty heavily and blocking the stairwell down. On a normal, rational day, as an outside observer, I could think of a dozen innocent reasons he might have returned. But in that moment, standing across from him, I just knew in my gut that this was someone with ill intent. I can't remember much more from the ensuing few minutes. Operating solely on muscle memory and instinct, I superman dove for the second stairwell's opening and just let myself fall down the drop. Thankfully, I don't think he'd seen where I'd gone at first, and though I was in too much pain to know it then, plenty was bruised, but nothing was completely broken. I scrambled up and threw myself at anything that seemed like it could be the door. It was too dark to tell. I was disoriented from the fall, and I wasn't in a calm enough mindset to think to use my phone flashlight. Plus, in hindsight, some part of me probably knew it would call too much attention to my location. Just before I was able to reach the door... It flew open with a blinding light beaming straight into my eyes. My first thought, though not totally coherent, was, there's another one of these guys, ah! And I stumbled backwards trying to find something to hide behind. Before I could, a voice called out, All right, this is Nametown Police Department. Everyone get on your knees with your hands in the air. I didn't believe it was the police at first. I was in such a fight-or-flight mode and had already committed to flight that I continued looking for ways to get out but he kept shining the flashlight right at me as I teetered around and yelled, Hey, I sat on the ground right now. Hands out. Hands out where I can see them. He sounded so authoritative that I just automatically did exactly as he asked. He approached me and finally shined the light away from me. It took a second to get my night vision, but once I did, I could see he was really a police officer. I tried to explain what was happening, but first he started asking me all these questions and... That, combined with what had just happened and my fear of the driver coming back, all snowballed into my being unable to form a single articulate sentence. He was even asking easy questions, too, like, can you tell me your name? Do you have any knives, needles, or anything that could poke or cut me? Would you rather talk in here or outside? And my total stunned babbling in response at first led him to believe I was on something. He directed me out to his car and once I was safely out of the building, I was starting to get my bearings just a little. I sat on the edge of the back seat of the squad car, with the door open facing out, while he stood across from me and asked the same questions again. The first thing I could think to ask was, did my friends call you? What did they tell you? And he explained, no, nobody called him. He was patrolling the area and noticed a car idling outside of this building that's known to be condemned, and nobody's supposed to be inside. And when they are... They're not up to no good. He was launching into a speech about how if I'd gone to shoot up or meet a John, he had resources he could direct me to, and that this was not an ideal place to do either of those things, and asking if I had somewhere safe to stay that night. But I was stuck on something else he'd said. Finally, it all clicked. The car. I 
spilled my whole rideshare story in a frantic word vomit. He looked around and the car wasn't there anymore. The officer guessed the guy had driven off while we were talking inside the building. He asked me all the details I remembered and I told him, but there weren't many. I'd been too tired when the ride started to track much. But the officer realized I could pull up my Uber app and get all the information. There wasn't really enough reception there, even outdoors, so we sped down the road and once I had enough bars, the app roared to life and I had four missed notifications from Uber. They said, Hello, I've arrived, and I don't see you. Can you confirm the pickup address is correct? And I'm flashing my hazards. And finally, unfortunately, your driver had to cancel. At first, I thought the driver was so cunning as to pick me up while sending these fake messages and canceling so the GPS wouldn't track us, knowing I wouldn't notice because I was asleep with my phone off and exonerating himself. But instead, I checked the car details, checked again, and it was definitely not the same driver. The person who'd driven me there had not been my Uber. My driver was somewhere else on the street when this guy pulled up to me. The policeman took my statement and said they would keep an eye out for the guy, but the best I could give them to go off of was basically young-looking Caucasian man with brown hair, sideburns, goatee, and four-door sedan, wearing a zip-up sweatshirt, maybe had a hood, which is like one out of every four guys in this city. I feel so blessed to have survived this near miss. Suffice it to say, I do not take rideshare services anymore. Quadruple check your license plate and driver name. You just never know. Thanks to everyone for continuing to send in your stories via email at mystory at disturbedpodcast.com over the hotline at 701-354-3667 or the online submission form at disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. And remember, no story is too big or too small, so keep them coming. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews. These things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed, as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest supporters, Lisa Guerrera, Wayne Slaughter, Judy Hayes, Ken Kniff, Cynthia Pocan, Kay Spence, Nick and Jess, and Crystal Garrett. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at Whitebat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>